Hey, Story Community. Just wanted to let you know that the episode today is not for little ears, so now would be a great time to pop in some earbuds or maybe distract those little ears. But as always, this story is filled with hope in life because stories change lives. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. This is Portia. And this is Katie. And it's so good to be together on a Friday. <laughs> a nice, rainy, gloomy Friday. And Portia, it's always so good to hang out with you. And then to get to meet a new friend. Yes. Uh, it's always such a pleasure. And our new friend today, ladies, is Ashley Chestnut. Mm-hmm. from Birmingham, Alabama. We can't wait for you to meet her. So Portia, you just jump right in and read her bio and then we'll get you all to be able to listen to her. Okay, that sounds great. All right. For too long, women have assumed they're outliers in their sexual struggles. This assumption often keeps them silent, leaving them to face the battle by themselves. Through working with women in their 20s and 30s, young adult minister Ashley Chestnut has both witnessed the devastating effects of sexual sin in the lives of women and walked alongside them to break free from it. Listen in as Ashley shares her story of compassion. Welcome, welcome, Ashley. Hi, ladies. Nice to be here. I have to ask right up the front. Okay, your last name is Chestnut. So how often do people sing the song to you? Oh, quite frequently. <laughs> what song? What song? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. <laughs> <laughs> now, does it? Is there an uptick at the in the winter season versus like the rest of the year, or is it just like all the time? Oh, definitely. In fact, I worked camp a couple of summers when I was in college, and we always did like a Christmas at camp week, uh-huh. and. There was definitely one summer that my team did a fireplace out of butcher paper with stockings and definitely put my picture in the fire to represent chestnuts roasting. I love it. I love it. I just couldn't not ask because my my name is Portia. And so I get the car references all of the time. And every once in a while, someone will bring up Shakespeare because Portia is a character in a couple of his plays. And um, so, yeah, so... I feel you. I know what it is to have a name that people are like, ooh, let me sing a song or ask you about this. And, and <laughs> But only from the older crowd, Sadie Hawkins. Sadie oh. Hawkins was a dance where the yeah. girl invited the boy and apparently was very popular back in the day. So I'll introduce myself to you know someone older. Oh, I'm Katie Hawkins. They're like, that name's very familiar. And then they start calling me Sadie. And I'm like, actually, it's Katie, but you don't. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we all have names that yeah, um, spark something. But Ashley, oh, my goodness. Sometimes when I read the bios of our guests, I get so excited. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to dive in and um, ask some specific questions. So we always start at the beginning because we're women and we like the details. Okay. So what was it like for you growing up in a household with an agricultural economist and college minister? You're going to even have to explain to me what an agricultural economist is, but it sounds interesting. And, and then along with that, when did you begin your faith journey? 
Definitely. So to qualify, I'm from a small town in South Georgia. So I am from the country, not the city. And, um, and so I'm surrounded by farmland when I go visit my parents and I, and I loved it. Um, so my dad, yeah, he helps farmers, um, and does a lot with their finances, does a lot with crop rotation, helping them basically, um, figure out how to get the best bang for their buck as far as farming goes and their money goes and getting out of debt. Um, so it's a pretty specialized form of, of work. Beautiful uh, ministry. I mean, job and wisdom, but also a ministry to really help yeah. individual lives because farming is tough. That's cool. But he was a minister too. So actually, it's my mom the one is the one that's in ministry. So my dad does that. My mom is the college minister, okay. and and she also has a counseling background and has worked in um, the college counseling office at various times in my life. So I get the benefit of a mom who's college minister as well as a licensed therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah, huge. I love that. I love. That. <laughs> So how did you um, how did you start your own faith journey? Yes. So growing up in ministry, I heard the gospel. I heard biblical truth taught throughout my life. I mean, I wasn't just the kid that went to church every Sunday and Wednesday. I was also the kid that did that in addition to my mom's college Bible studies on Monday and Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I, I had it worse than any preacher kid on that front. Uh, <laughs> But surrounded by truth, and and I was extremely young when I came to faith. I think I was around kindergarten, and honestly, okay. I was so young that I I don't really like have my own memories of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember more of actually what my mom has told me that I said or did. Right. <laughs> um, so, but growing up, I'm so thankful that that was my story. I'm so thankful to have grown up where the gospel was preached, where the word was taught and, and where it was more of a recognition of, okay, I know about God, but do I know him personally as my Mm. Lord and savior? Do I have that relationship? And so, um, also just with growing up in a college ministry household, there's an aspect there of seeing ministry lived out Um, I mean, we've always had college students live with us. I mean, even now, I think there's two girls living at my parents' house. Um, So ministry in the home, um, Mm -hmm. which my dad has been very gracious to support. Um, And so just seeing what sacrificial service looks like, just seeing um, where you are loving people where they're at. and, And that is not easy. It's messy. You are getting involved in their lives but you are loving them and sharing Christ with them and helping them grow. So that was just modeled for me um, from the time I was born and, um, and knew at a very young age that I was also called to ministry. Wow. I love that so much. I do too. It reminds me, wasn't it the Apostle Paul that said, we not only share the gospel with you, but our very lives. And um, when I hear something like that, it's like, yeah, you guys sharing your very lives, mm-hmm. obviously gospel-centered. Um, love that. What were you going to say, Portia? Oh, I was just going to say that I love that you have a handle on your faith story in that there's legacy there. There's a strong foundation. And then even 
I imagine that there are people who, when they see someone who grew up with Christian parents and one of the parents is in ministry and doing ministry, that there can be a false assumption that your life was perfect and that everything went the way that you wanted it to and that you have no hurts, no wounds, just everything is practically perfect in every way. But Mary, right. Um, also, my my parents are in ministry. I know that that's not the case. So, what are some of the wounds that have happened in your life, and how has that, or did it create any tension from what you knew to be true, what you're experiencing, and then wait, what just happened? Mm. Yes, and I did have an easy childhood, almost an idyllic childhood. Um, it wasn't normal, but but it it was a good childhood. Um, we like to say uh, we're the because we're the chestnut family. Like, mm-hmm. welcome to the nut house is actually a sign outside of our family door. Love it. Um, so not normal, but a little nutty. But I love my nuts. I love my <laughs> my family of nuts. Um, but you are right. Like there is always going to be suffering in the world and suffering in our lives. None of us are immune. In fact, suffering is promised. And mm-hmm. when I, when I went off to college, I did my first two years at home where my mom worked, lived mm-hmm. at home and, and then transferred my junior year. And that was a bit of a shock to my system. I mean, I moved out of my parents' house for the first time, had to do the adulting thing for my for the first time, mm-hmm. um, but also moved to a campus where I, I knew a couple of people, but didn't walk right into a community, sure. had to find a church. So I wasn't known. And when your mom works in ministry in a small town, you know everybody. In fact, you right. go to Walmart to socialize. Right. So... I didn't just have that in the place that I went to school. And um, I was also the only Christian that was in my my major. And I walked into a cohort situation where I was with the same people for every class for two years. Wow. And so I was the only Christ follower in that group of people. And it became very apparent very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was with a crowd of party girls. I was with a crowd of people living all sorts of lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I have a very type A personality. (laughs) And so with so many things feeling out of control with so many things shifting, I, without even realized it started fighting for control in the areas that I could. And one of those being my diet. Okay. And um, so developed um, an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And by God's grace, it only lasted about a semester. Um, okay. and, and again, I was reading my Bible every day. It wasn't even like I wasn't doing those things. It was just, it just happened. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I went home for break that I was like, okay, what in the world am I even doing mm-hmm. um, with restricting my eating to this degree? So God was gracious on that front. Um, So just showing me the control issues that Mm -hmm. I had and how Mm -hmm. I was coping. Um, But something else that happened just with that group, um, our senior year, one of the girls in my cohort died. And it was a very tragic death. It, um, she had, she was one of those girls that, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Carrie Underwood's song, Because He Cheats. Um, Yeah. That was, that was kind of her. 
Um, She was the party girl. She drunk all the time. Um, She dated the owner of the local club who was like 20 years older than her Mm -hmm. um, and would have revenge sex, you know, like this was just the, the type of person. And so, and so somebody that looking back now, I'm like, she had a lot of hurt. There was, there was her way of coping, even with the alcohol and with the guys, there was a lot of hurt there. But I think at the time I was too caught up in my own self and in my own struggles that I didn't even look to see beyond the, um, beyond the symptoms of, of her alcohol and, and the guys, but she died and it was a drug and alcohol um, mm-hmm. related death and somebody actually went to prison as a result of it. There was a, uh, investigation and a trial. So it wasn't just that somebody died. It was that whole entire senior year mm-hmm. was, was full of one thing after another. We learned sure. a lot about her after her death and God used that moment really as a turning point for me in the sense of, I knew that I had failed to share the gospel with her. Um, They all knew I was a Christian, but Mm -hmm. as far as an intentionality and sharing, Mm -hmm. what does it look like to come to faith? Why do we need Jesus? Jesus is our hope. I never Mm -hmm. shared that with her. Mm -hmm. And and that rocked me um, because I knew that she died and went to hell. Mm -hmm. And, And so I just dealt with a lot of guilt over the fact that I never shared. And I dealt with a lot of guilt over the more I learned about her story after her death, just how hurt she was Mm -hmm. and that I had missed it, that our entire group had missed it and that we hadn't done more to actually help her where she was. Yeah. 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 What is, um, how did the Lord minister to you in that? Because I know that God doesn't lead us with condemnation. Romans eight tells us that we're not condemned. So was there a moment or was it a process of forgiving yourself? What did that look like in dealing with that guilt? It was a process. Um, I would say I, it was a delayed process, partially because senior year, you're also just trying to graduate. I was student teaching. I was doing camp that summer. I moved and started seminary in the fall. Mm -hmm. So it was really my first semester of seminary. I took a spiritual formations class and had a female professor who just, even though she wasn't a counselor, that was very much her personality and vibe. (laughs) And she did one-on-one meetings with us, especially because we were all first years. Sure. And she was somebody that really drew that out and really did a lot of just talking me through what had happened she was probably the first one that noticed I felt a lot of guilt (laughs) and she, she named that. And, um, and so just reminded me a lot of truth, but I think with all of us, the grief process, Mm -hmm. we deal with denial, we deal with anger, we deal with hopelessness, but the timing of it looks a little bit different. So mine was almost that year anniversary was when I was really starting to finally think about what happened and, sure. and what that meant and, um, and speaking truth to myself. Mm, I love that. Speaking truth to yourself, right, Katie? Yeah. Oh, hello. And the grace of God to send someone alongside to help you even look inside. Um, because sometimes we just, 
truly need one another. Jesus was not kidding when he had that whole list of the one another's, you know, encourage one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, help one another, because he knows we are following him, but we need help. We need each other. So his grace in sending you that woman at that time to help you dig down and get rid of something that was not going to enhance the free life that he envisioned for you. Not, not that it wasn't a, a catalyst in your life um, to spur you on to what you were to do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the way God can use bad things mm-hmm. in good ways. So is that when you kind of started a season of leading small groups um, and then that turned into a long 13-year endeavor. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So it is all connected when you look back. Um, but in the moment, um, so I had moved to seminary, moved to Birmingham. Um, I went to Beeson Divinity School. And so started over in a whole new city um, two years after I'd moved uh, and transferred in college. And I started right away, my first Sunday started attending the church at Brick Hills here in Birmingham, which is where I now work. Mm-hmm. And um, about a year in, I was looking for ways to serve and and started serving with college ministry and started doing some coaching with some college small group leaders, but also started leading a college small group myself. Mm-hmm. And and it made sense. I'm on Samford's campus, um, which is a university here. Beeson is on that campus. So I was on campus with these girls and it just made sense. This is a group that I should be working with. And then with my mom's background, I just had a mm-hmm. love for college students already. Sure. And cool. But I'm already there. And so I can eat in the cafeteria with them. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so, so God just started doing that. So I started leading a small group of about a dozen to 15 college girls. It kind of changed every semester, every year, how many were in it. And, um, I was with those girls for five years Mm -hmm. and about that third year we were together, they, I started that fall and they just one by one just started confessing sin that they were struggling with. Mm -hmm. And the most common sin was masturbation. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some pornography, there was sex with their boyfriends, there mm-hmm. was stuff from their past, but masturbation was the most common struggle and mm-hmm. which surprised me. Um, that wasn't something I had had. Yeah. That was something that I hadn't really heard of girls struggling with. Mm-hmm. And and so I was very thankful that they shared this with me, um, but I didn't know what to do with it. It's not like you hear masturbation talked about from the pulpit very often, if right. at all, if ever. Right. And, and especially, you know, in the early 2000s, there really wasn't much written on this topic or really many topics related to women and sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I I was kind of at a loss at what to do. And the longer I walked with some of these girls, the more I started picking up on some of this sounds more like an addiction. Like, mm-hmm. so even just starting to do a little bit more research on what is sex addiction and mm-hmm. 
And even God provided a professor at Beeson who um, he was the founder of a local counseling office and he was a certified sex addiction therapist. So he had us read a book about sex addiction um, as part of our class at seminary. Mm -hmm. And um, so even started introducing God started just providing resources and people mm-hmm. um, at the right time that I could ask questions to that could recommend resources. Um, but the more I started talking to girls, the more I realized just how pervasive sexual sin was among them. Right. And the more they started, I, I guess when one person finds that you're comfortable to talk to, they tell their right. friend and then their friend is also struggling. And so you end up talking to them. Right. So it just became their sorority sisters, other girls on campus, other mm-hmm. girls in our college ministry. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I would be the girl known for talking to people about sex, but that's where <laughs> God led. <laughs> in mind for you and I love how he works mm-hmm. so how he took me by surprise yeah keep going this is fascinating how did that all kind of roll into what you're doing even now yeah so I finished seminary while leading that group and I I'd never intended to stay in Birmingham I just thought I'd go to school and go where a job took me But God made it clear when I graduated that my time with these girls wasn't over, that I needed to stay till they finished. Wow. So I was already working part-time at Burke Hills, and then they hired me full-time working with adult ministry so I could still do the college girls Mm -hmm. in my spare time. Right. And um, so started working at the church, and, and God just even used my time that I've had at Burke Hills. I feel like I learned about discipleship from my mom. I saw it. And so it lived out well. And Brooke Hills has helped me learn about how to be strategic with discipleship. Wow. wow. And so I've learned more of, of the how-tos, the more of the whys. And and I, I compare it to being the difference between being an involved parent and being a strategic parent. So an involved parent loves their child. Mm-hmm. An involved parent is at the soccer games, is helping with the homework, putting the kid to bed, reading the bedtime stories. That's an involved parent, and they love their child. But a strategic parent is one that looks at their child and says, I want my child to know Christ. And while I cannot control what they choose to do, I am going to intentionally talk to them about God. I'm going to mm-hmm. read the Bible with them. Um, an intentional parent says, I want my kid to have a healthy view of sexuality. And so right. I'm going to talk to my kid at age appropriate times and age appropriate mm-hmm. ways about God's design for their bodies mm-hmm. and about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate and why. Mm-hmm. And so an intentional parent knows the goal of what they're looking for in their child, Christ-likeness, character, mm-hmm. um, And they are being strategic in the conversations and the things that they are doing with that child to lead towards that goal. So even just learning, what does that look like with the women that I am investing in here? How do I be strategic um, and walking alongside them? That's so, that's so amazing. And I love um, how you broke down involved versus strategic, because I think that that is, that's life where we can be strategic about life or we can just be involved in life. And um, and I love what you said specifically around sexuality and parenting of just having the conversation. So an appropriate conversation, right? There, there are things that we talk to our four-year-old about 
um, or excuse me, our 10 year old that we don't talk to our four year old about. Um, and then also I think within Christian circles that the topic of sexuality and just sex in general and what we do with it is, I think we sometimes stop at sex is for marriage and we don't talk about it until you are married. And when you are married, you should have lots of sex and we just kind of leave it there. And I wanted to ask you, um, did you find in, in being with the, the young adult women and the college women in the ministry, were some of their patterns, their habits, their addictions, was any of that informed for them coming through what's, it's being kind of poo-pooed now, purity culture, you know, we all kiss dating goodbye, we all had purity rings or some sort of necklace, some sort of jewelry that our parents gave us, depending on how you grew up. And, I, and I'm not saying that those things were wrong, but I don't know how healthy they were carried out in some settings. Um, did you see that play a part or have you seen that play a part in the different women that you've interacted with over the years? I've seen that play a part in some, to be sure. And I was definitely that generation of, I think I read uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye in like eighth grade or ninth grade, right. Passion and Purity, right. Elizabeth Ellie, which still love Passion and Purity. Yeah. Um, so I was that way. And some of the girls, I also had many that didn't grow up in Christian homes. Sure. Um, so they had no idea about purity culture because okay. they weren't from Why the South. They? they weren't from church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say a common theme that I've seen um, with young women and even young women in, in the church is um, an early exposure to sexual things, either at mm -hmm. home or by accident right. or by a friend. Um, so that might even be that kids were talking about something at school and so they didn't know what it meant and they just Googled it and that got them started on a journey. Mm hmm. Um, but I've also seen the theme of, and I was even talking to a young woman yesterday that this is true, that nobody ever had the sex talk with her and she's in her wow. late twenties. Sure. And, and so she was exploring her body at a young mm -hmm. age, which is also a normal thing that kids mm -hmm. do. We need to talk mm -hmm. to them about it. Right. But in the course of that, she had discovered masturbation and that it felt mm -hmm. good Mm -hmm. And, um, but nobody ever talked to her about sex or sexuality mm -hmm. or her body. And so something that could have been intercepted if there had been an adult in her life that was talking to her about sex and right. God's design, mm -hmm. it never got intercepted and it became a sin struggle that lasted over a decade. Wow. Yeah. And like you said, even develops into an addiction, not even just a a random choice, but almost a driving addiction. And then people cannot live in freedom. Right. Christ died to set us free and give us an abundant life, not a chained life. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the enemy feeds that though and says, no, this is your life. You have to have this. You, you know, oh my. And I hear what you're saying about the theme though of the accident, you know, kind of the accidental more and more. Mm -hmm. um, There's a, oh, I'm sorry, Katie. To talk about this subject, you, you hear, I mean, some of my favorite Christian authors and now are finally talking about, oh, when I was eight, my best mm -hmm. friend pulled me in the driveway, mm -hmm. showed me this magazine and immediately right. something in my body right. literally responded to that to the point right. where, you know, for 10 years he had 
a mm-hmm. serious addiction to pornography, like almost right from the start mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. being exposed to it accidentally. Right. So this is such a subject we have to talk about in it. And I'm guessing you wrote a book about it because I'm seeing in our notes that you wrote a book. But Portia, you were going to ask something before I went on. To well, no, I appreciate everything that you said. And then Ashley, you mentioned God's design for sex. Because the truth is we are sexual beings. It's part of how God created us. And there, with everything that he has given to us as a gift, there is a structure and there is a, this is the way to fully enjoy what I have given you. If you go outside of how I have designed this for you, this gift I've given to you, it's not going to go right. And how it doesn't go right shows up differently in different people. But I, I just appreciate in this conversation that we're talking about God's design because God's design is amazing and sex is a gift and it's beautiful. And also Kitty, in your story, when you were talking about, you've heard from people that they had early exposure. It makes me think of Song of Solomon, um, where it says, I urge the daughters to not awaken or arouse love before it's time. So those, and this is not too far, listeners, we are not saying these things to make you be fearful. We're saying these things so that like Ashley was saying, you would be strategic and you would be aware and that you would be having conversations with your children Um, because we are sexual beings. When we see sexual things, our body responds because that's how our bodies were created to respond. But just because you respond doesn't mean it's in the right order and design that God had in mind. Mm. So that's the end of my PSA. Well said. Well said. Well said. It it's reminded me of this book way back in the day, K. Arthur uh, mm. Ministries. If you remember her, she wrote a book called um, "Sex is Like a Can of Drano." I don't even know if they make Drano anymore, but it you know it was a very powerful agent that if your sink got clogged you poured it in there obviously and it was amazing and it worked and her whole analogy was it's amazing sex is amazing Mm -hmm. but Drano is very poisonous if it's ever used out of its intentional that's good you see it now I mean you see the analogy you get burned you yeah. get you get poisoned. You mm-hmm. get you know blah blah blah. And I just remember reading that, at, you know, fairly new in my Christianity. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, anyway, but Ashley, tell us about your book. Yeah, it's yeah. not just you about sex. Yes. You're about yours. <laughs> That's right. So I wrote the book that I wish somebody could have given me when I first started having these conversations with young women. Mm-hmm. And it's also the book I wish I could have given to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I wrote it with a twofold audience. One is for the struggler. One mm-hmm. is for the woman or the person walking alongside the struggler. Mm-hmm. So, so a twofold audience and the book is called it's not just you which is what we've been talking about this whole time if you struggle with any form of sexual sin you are not the only person who struggles with it and you are not the only christian and not the only christian woman who struggles with it 
And so wanting to help women know it's not just them. And what does it look like to talk about this? What does it look like to see what God's word tells us about it? And what does it look like to fight sin well? Mm-hmm. So the book has three parts. Um, the first part is why are we sexually broken? Mm-hmm. So it's looking at contributing reasons um, for our our brokenness, especially our sexual brokenness. So everything from we are just wicked sinners, which is completely biblical. We are born with a sin nature. Um, we also are wounded. So looking at what are ways in um, what are ways in which our wounds or our past have affected us. And um, also looking at spiritual warfare, and then also our biology is a piece of the puzzle. And so none of those things excuse sin, but they do help us to understand why we do what we do. So, um, So that's the first part. The second part looks at six aspects of God's design for sex. Mm-hmm. So this is where um, we really are unpacking, okay, we say that sexual sin is wrong, but why is it wrong? Exactly. And I go through, you can, if you look at the table of contents, you can see I get a little spicy in which sins I talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I talk about everything from masturbation to BDSM, bondage, dominant sadism, masochism, to sexual fetishes, to mm-hmm. sex robots. Um, to ways that sexuality plays out in augmented and virtual reality products. Um, So all of these things are topics we're addressing as we look at God's design for sex. And then the last part is, okay, I'm struggling. What now? What do I do? How do I fight this? How do I identify the root of my sin? Because sexual sin is just a symptom. So homosexuality, it's Mm -hmm. a symptom of something else. I need to look at my heart. What are my thoughts and beliefs? What am I worshiping? Mm -hmm. Wow. I need to fight sin at the root. Mm -hmm. And if all I'm doing is focusing on my symptoms, then the struggle won't be addressed. Right. So how do I fight sin at the root? And then I've got a couple of chapters on how do I know whether or not my sexual sin is an addiction and then what do I do if trauma or abuse is part of my story? Oh my goodness. I'm not kidding. This book sounds fabulous. Fabulous. It is resonating with me so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much. We we had Sean McDowell on here. Um, I don't know, Portia, when did we do that interview? A couple months ago. Oh, it was before Christmas because... Oh. Um, his book on uh, sex, well, sex and dating in a confused world. Or, right. um, you're shaking your head, Ash. I'm guessing maybe you read that because he writes to a young audience too. But anyway, so reading that book and he was addressing some of these same things that you're talking about yeah. in just a question and answer format. And I, you know, I'm kind of old. Now I've heard a lot, so I'm not that easily shocked. However, some of the things in there, I'm like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Is that a thing? You know, Mm -hmm. today? Obviously, it is a thing. Right. When you said robot, I'm like, wait, is that a thing? Um, And and what Portia said right at the beginning, maybe you said this before we even came on and started recording. Mm -hmm. We have got to talk. Yes. These heavier 
dark, like things that are really happening out there with love, grace, wisdom, honesty, um, put away the fear, put away the, this is a reality. This is something happening in our world. Let's talk about it. I applaud you. Yes. Diving in um, to difficult subjects with calmness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the way you talk about it, like, okay, there's three parts. Mm-hmm. And here is each part. Mm-hmm. These are deep things. And yet, um, just hearing your background, how you grew up, watching young adults be ministered to, how you got education, how you got thrown into a hard situation and didn't didn't help. Um, and again, that I don't say that with condemnation. That's all part of the experience and the and the God training you up and then boom on this campus and then you I mean your whole story woven together. Um, so that you can walk in the good works that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in so you can bless the body of Christ, his, yes. his wider body. I, I personally, as one who is walking alongside um, women with struggles, mm-hmm. will be getting that book. I love how you defined your audience to yes. us. I yeah. will. Yeah. And listeners, I know that you always hear me say, I'll buy that book as soon as I get off the, the thing. And I always for real, we're going to buy this book. (laughs) (laughs) I always mean it. I'm not being a hypocrite. I always mean it. Look at these bookcases behind me. They're books. But truthfully, Ashley, oh my goodness. I just want to say thank you on behalf of the body of Christ. Yes. Boldness, your wisdom, and you're getting out there and just doing that. Writing a book is not easy. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think something else that I really appreciate is that even though there are symptom things that you're addressing, you were very clear that you were looking at the root of the sin. And whether that be trauma, whether that be whatever has happened in a person's life, because when I look at scripture and when I look at how Jesus interacted with people, like the woman caught in adultery, for example, he didn't even talk to her about the adultery. He said, where are your accusers? Because he knew that she was in a place of condemnation, but because God doesn't condemn us, neither do I condemn you. And then says, go and sin no more, right? Because a lifestyle of sin, because sometimes people have their their pet sins. I think we all do. And we say that they're not that big a deal. Um, But sin is going to lead to other sin. And if we don't handle the root of it, and ultimately the root of it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then there are things I love when Jesus sets us free immediately from situations or bondages in our life. However, (laughs) so often it's a process. It is a process so that we develop new habits and we create new mindsets and that we are being renewed daily by being in his word and by the power of Holy Spirit. And I just think that this book is going to be an amazing resource. Um, to in the hands of the body of Christ. So I echo everything that Katie said, and I am I am applauding you um, because this is, this is going to be good. And even in my own life, right now, and listeners, we always say this, we say stories change lives. 
and it's our lives, <laughs> Portia, Susan, and I, and Gwen on the front lines that always get spoken to by God and changed through these stories. Okay, so for my own personal life right now, Ashley, uh, my husband and I are working through a Bible study for people who want to understand uh, homosexuality in um in the world today, in the church today, in families today. How, and, and there's this whole opening chapter on, uh, they give an illustration of a tree and they're like, okay, first a tree has a seed, <laughs> mm-hmm. then the roots, then the trunk, and, and then the fruit. And mm-hmm. if the fruit is homosexuality, you don't address it by grabbing that fruit off the tree and trying to paste on other fruit. It can't be behavior modification. It can't be, it's not about quit doing that. What are you, what are you crazy? You know, stop that. That's a sin. Stop. And the whole Bible study is leading us to let's start with the seed of a life, which is the heart. And then the trunk they're kind of symbolizing is the environment, the circumstance, exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my life, okay, if I'm praying to God for wisdom, he gives me wisdom mm-hmm. through stories, through books, through his word, through people he has trained up um, mm-hmm. to be a dispenser of wisdom in certain areas. Okay, so that's why I'm just saying personally, I'm not just saying, oh, we love having authors on here and then we just tell everyone to go buy their book. No. We are women seeking wisdom from God that we all might live a more free, abundant life. We pray for wisdom. This is one way to get it. So, Ashley, I will be going on Amazon. Is that where you can find your book, Amazon, and anywhere else? that books Amazon, are? Lifeway.com, all the major retailers. Got yeah. it. Got it. I'll be ordering it. Now, our last question that we always ask all our guests. If you could leave us with just one thing, what might that be? Yeah, so I'm going to weave in a couple of things here because <laughs> I want to piggyback on what you and Portia have, have just said. Wonderful. About we do have to fight sin at the root. Mm-hmm. And Portia, I think you like briefly like said this, but it's a process. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't want to set up false expectations that... Okay even just by identifying the root that your sin struggle will go away. Right. Sometimes God works in wonderful ways like that, but that mm. is not the typical story. Right. And, and so just prepare yourself to know that this will be a process that identifying the root is a process, addressing the root life change. It's life change. Right. And so God is after making us healthy and holy And that will take our whole lifetime and we still won't arrive, but praise be to God, we, we have a future, um, with him in glory and we will have glorified bodies and glorified emotions and glorified Mm -hmm. thinking. Mm -hmm. So I want to encourage, I guess, two things. One, it is a process, but two, we have hope because of Christ in that process. Mm -hmm. All of us, those struggling those trying to help, there's hope. We don't have to be overwhelmed. We don't have to be in despair. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be depressed. 
even though the struggle's hard for yes. both. Yes. Um, because he's and we're not alone. We're not alone in that struggle because he is good. always with us. And his word, he has given us what is needed for life and godliness. And that he tells us that in his word. And so his spirit is in us. If we are Christ followers, we have the gift of his word and we have the gift of his people. That's so good. Amen. And if any of you listeners aren't Christ followers and you just kind of stumbled into this podcast, um, to become one mm-hmm. is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's so, um, I don't want to say easy, but it's simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a simple surrendering to say, I want to be connected mm-hmm. with you, God, uh, mm-hmm. through what Christ did for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you show me? Would you show mm-hmm. me how I, I, I want mm-hmm. to be part of your kingdom? Mm-hmm. Um, so absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Ashley, is there, is there, is there a... If you had to seal it, what would you seal our time together? What would you say to our listeners today? I would say that no matter what your struggle, no matter what your story is, that God loves you. You are not defined. If you, if you are a Christian, you are not defined by your struggle. You are not defined by your suffering. You are defined by the Lord. And he says that you are made in his image. So you reflect God, you represent God. And if you are a Christian, he sees you through the blood of Christ. So there is no guilt. There is no shame because he sees you through Christ and there is no guilt and no shame in Christ. And so take your cue from the Lord as far as what he says about your identity and what he says about your value and worth. It is so good. Take your key from how God sees you through Christ. He is He is the key to your identity. I love that. I love that so much um, because we want to look at all the other things. But this says this. I feel this. But what does God say? What does God say about who you are? Ashley, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for this time. Thank you for tackling difficult things. Thank you for making them accessible. And thank you for speaking about hope. That is just, that's, that is the gift. And listeners, that is what we prayed. We prayed that you would find hope as you are listening to this episode today. And that if you yourself are in a dark place, there's hope for you. And God is with you in the struggle. You're not alone. And that if you're in the process, you're not alone. And so whether this is directly for you or for somebody in your life, we ask that you would share this episode because we want everyone everywhere to know there is always hope in the struggle. Ashley Chestnut. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be humming that song. Chestnut, (laughs) sing out an open fire. Woo! And you are on fire for the Lord. And uh, honey, this has been just a gift. Thank you. You're a delight. And listeners, we love you all. We do. Next time. We love you. Bye.